You're listening to the Pursuing Financial Freedom Podcast, and I'm your host, Jess White. My goal is to inspire you to take action on your journey to financial freedom so that you can live life on your terms and live it abundantly. Thanks for listening, and welcome to the show. Today, I have Jose Linares. Jose is in the San Diego area. He does multifamily investing, and we're going to get into a lot of Jose's story today. He's got a lot of good things to say, and I'm really excited to have you on the show, man. But first things first, I want to start off a little bit. I want you to tell our guests just a little bit about you and your background and how you got started real estate investing. Yeah, no, I appreciate you inviting me to uh, join you on the podcast. I know we've been working on trying to get this scheduled for a little while, so I appreciate your patience with that and glad that we could connect and got to thank Justin for connecting us at BPCon as well. So as far as myself, <clears throat> I'm born and raised in Chicago. Uh, went to school at Arizona State. Moved back for a year. Realized that I hated the cold and the humidity of Chicago. So I found my way to San Diego <laughs> after that. And I, I found my way into claims adjusting, which is where the claims to fire came from. So I started in insurance adjusting and was not the biggest fan of it. Uh, started in bodily injury and then moved to marketing, which my degree was in. And then uh, the 2007 wildfires hit, and I met a lot of the catastrophe adjusters that were handling all the property losses for wildfires. And I found out how much they made per cat, what, you know, a catastrophe event. So if you're going out for a hurricane, if you're going out for a hailstorm, they, they send out basically waves of adjusters to help out because of the volume of claims that come in. Found out how much they make in like a 30-day period. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do that. So so for about 18 months, I just traveled across the country. I put everything in storage. So that actually helped me get out of my bad consumer debt was I put everything in storage. Um, and then I would just crash on friends' uh, couches, uh, my old roommates, um, girlfriend at the time, and just saved up as much as I could. And then got burnt out on claim, well, traveling for one, but claims in general. And then I found myself on the contractor side in 2006, I'm sorry, 2016. And that's when I got the introduction to multifamily. So um, we do commercial restoration for the company that I work for currently. And as I was meeting the institutional investors, property managers, um, asset managers, you know, I would hear a little bit more on their business model. And it just hit me and it was like, wait a minute. So I can be anywhere in the world and the first of the month that check's coming in. And as long as my expenses are under control, I, I'm, I'm making money regardless of where I am in the world. I was like, I got to look into this a little bit more. Found Bigger Pockets. No one's the same after you find Bigger Pockets. And that's where it all started. And then I just started consuming content. Um, I was in analysis paralysis for a, a good two and a half years prior to actually taking action. And it was actually BPCon 2019 that forced me to take action. I went there solo. Uh, I was like, I don't want to go there with any friends so that I, you know, I didn't want to just stay with the friends and not network and meet people. I want to push myself out, out of my comfort zone. So I went there solo, ended up meeting David Green um, at the conference. And then he he invited me to join his mastermind at the time. And then since then, I've been hitting the ground running yeah, Chicago, the humidity in the summers, the cold in the winters, brutally cold in the winters. And now you're yes. in sunny San Diego, 70 degrees year round. What a great place to live. So really, your real estate story 
doesn't really start until about 2000. What do you say? You started. I would say 2017 is when. So I started it in August of 2016 at my current uh, position, and 2017 is when I finally start. It started clicking a little bit, and mm -hmm. I looked back, and I think I joined Bigger Pockets in like uh, July or August of 2017. So I would say that the journey kind of started in 2017. Um, me consuming content, podcasts, everything. Man, our stories really align because for me, I, you know, for me, it was reading Rich Dad Poor Dad. I know it's cliche, but that was 2016. And I hated what I did. I had just recently gotten fired from my job. Like, it, I was kind of a really, a, I don't want to say rock bottom, but it was a rough situation. And I just knew that I needed to make change. And our, I'm just listening to your timelines. It's like, wow, that's exactly where I was because I read that book and I had that analysis paralysis for, gosh, I mean, at least a year and a half and just didn't take any action, but finally started taking action toward the end of 2017. And it's interesting to see where you and I are at now. But uh, Love hearing yeah. that. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay, so you're now in San Diego. You moved from Chicago. You are in the multifamily space, but you're also working a day job. So you're you're doing those two things at once. I'm guessing that's probably not the the end game to stay there forever, but we don't have to get into that too much right now. I want to know your current strategy for multifamily. So you picked multifamily. And where are you at today with your multifamily portfolio? And I guess, where are you headed? I chose multifamily. It's funny because I um, I initially wanted to go the house hacking route. Um, so I, in 20, because, so I'd say 2017 was just my intro to it. In 2018, I started looking into house hacking in San Diego. San Diego is not a cheap market. Uh, and the pre-approval that I had, because I really had only been in my current position for about a year, that pre-approval, I couldn't even get like a shoebox in San Diego with. <clears throat> so I decided that, hey, I'm from the Midwest. Um, I just read Long Distance Real Estate Investing by David Green. Let me figure this out. So I started looking into Iowa. Uh, that's where my wife is from, Illinois, where I'm from, Kansas and Missouri, because I knew, and I know Kansas and Missouri from my catastrophe days with uh, um, insurance adjusting. And uh, I actually met a property manager in 2018 at the National Apartment Association while I was working the exhibit booth for my current employer. And we, she was based in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, and I was, that was an area that I was looking at. I was like, all right, well, I know one person. Uh, let me keep in contact with her, start reaching out. She was kind enough to um, kind of deal with me during that analysis paralysis stage and like trying to figure out what I wanted to do, the market, everything. So she introduced me to some lenders, introduced me to some brokers, and I started uh, making offers in 2019. And uh, there was a portfolio at the beginning of 2020 that came up, and it was about 42 units. It was mostly fourplexes and a couple duplexes, and there was a five and a seven unit in that mix. And I called up my mentor because I was really only looking at the fourplexes. I didn't really have anything outside of like a fourplex in mind at that time. <clears throat> and he's like, Jose, everything that you've told me about what you want to do, your path to financial freedom, how many, how much cash flow you want... He's like, you said there's a five and a seven unit in that portfolio. Why don't you just look at the five and the seven unit? Just go one more unit higher, 
you're in the commercial space the minute you hit five plus units, then you're going to build a track record with commercial lenders, commercial brokers, commercial property managers, and that will help you get from the five to the 10 to the 20 to the 30 to the 80 to the 150. So I took his advice. He's been doing it a lot longer than I have. So I got to listen to everyone who's succeeding in that realm. So I chose the seven unit because it made the most sense. Uh, there were three units vacant at the time. And actually, the break-even point for that property, and this is why I love multifamily, was at four units. So I'm act outside the fact that I kind of scaled quickly that first year, I'm pretty risk-averse. So for me, like buying five single-family homes, and if two people stop paying, paying, like I'm on the hook for those two, like mortgage, insurance, taxes, everything. Uh, and then, but in multifamily, it's like, all right, well, I can weather the storm for one, two people not paying rent and still cover everything and still cash flow potentially. So for that particular property, that seven unit, I ended up closing on it and uh, we got it leased up in uh, four months. And then I had a, a 15 unit under contract two weeks after I got the close on the seven unit. So um, pretty much in six months, I went from zero to 22 units. God, isn't that amazing that you can do that so quickly? Like I think about you and me both sitting on the sidelines for a year and a half, two years, and just thinking about what taking action can do and how fast that snowballs. And I don't know, I, I bet you couldn't even imagine yourself like maybe five, 10 years ago, uh, or not even five years ago, that you were going to be moving that quickly. And that that's just amazing. Uh, you mentioned something talking about tr building up a track record with commercial lenders. This is a mistake that I, th I see a lot of people make that have day jobs. So they prioritize getting the 30 year fixed. I guess, yeah, you should get as many of those as you can, but I'm very, very big on prioritizing starting a relationship with a commercial lender as soon as you possibly can. And not just one. Um, for me, it's like five or six commercial lenders in my area and I'll basically use them. Um, I'll get a couple of deals with one and then I'll go to the next one and then I'll go to the next one and a year later I'll do the same thing and I'm constantly building up that track record and I've only been doing that for three years and then now it's getting so much easier just to make the phone call and the approval is just like that. They're giving me better terms. Uh, a lot of the stuff is negotiable too. So that's something I wish I would have started earlier instead of just chasing the best rate, uh, chasing, pursuing a relationship with those lenders. So that's super, super important. No, you just touched on it right there. Um, there's a few things that even myself, when I was getting started, it just, you fear, you have this fear of it because you've never actually had the conversation with the lender. So you just take everything that you hear from everyone else as, as word. And so just like you said, like I was, I was chasing that interest rate that was okay. Well, you know, this isn't as low as I wanted it to go, but I wasn't thinking long-term on those initial calls. I was just thinking, okay, what interest rate can I get? And what terms are we talking about? And it honestly took me 16 uh, commercial lenders reaching out to. I first lender that the property manager uh, introduced me to, the terms didn't work and every almost everyone was loan to cost and I was trying to do a burr on that first uh, seven unit property. So I was trying to figure out like, okay, how do I get to the burr on this if, only, if everyone's only doing loan to cost? And so 
I pulled up the Chamber of Commerce and I just put like, every lender that was advertised there. I just called every single lender there. And it was funny because one of the, the lenders that I spoke with, he, he was okay. Like he wasn't too warm to our conversation. I could tell. I was like, all right, well, we'll see um, how it goes. And then when I finally got this first property under contract, I saw who, or I asked the broker, who's the lender on this property? And so I found out the lender, and this is the person I talked to previously, one of the 16. So I called them up. I was like, hey, um, well, to back back up this story a little bit, um, that was actually on the settlement statement because I closed on that first property all cash, technically all cash. So I used savings, a solo 401k loan to myself, and I used private money to piecemeal the cash offer together because I had read uh, Negotiating Real Estate by Jay Scott, Mark Ferguson, and Carol Scott over a weekend because I was so fearful of making the wrong move and making the wrong offer and saying the wrong thing that I took a positioning statement from his book that if I were to offer you all cash and close as quickly as you would like, what's the best price you can give me in return? So I used that on the broker for that portfolio and for the seven unit. And they automatically came down off the list price like 5%. And I was like... You know, that's not really where I was thinking. So I came in really low. And then he's like, no, he's like, we're not going to be able to make it work at that price. And he came back with another another price. And I was like, and but I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, I don't have cash. So I got to back out of this like cash offer that I just told, <laughs> told them. So it's like, okay, I can come up to this amount, but I'm going to have to go financing and find the right lender to help me close on this. He's like, Jose, the only reason that we're talking to you right now is because you said cash. We'll wait. And I was like, well, crap. Uh, this is a good price. This really works for this particular deal. So I was like, I'll figure it out. Let's do this. <laughs> and then yes. so... So on the settlement statement, it said the bank that I paid off. So I called up that lender, who's one of the 16 that I spoke with previously. And I was like, hey, so I got a property that you were hoping to get interest on for the next four to five years. What do you think about bringing this back on your books? And then he opened the conversation. And by that time, I also had a 15 unit, which was with the same seller and with that same lender. And I was like, hey. Actually, I have 22 units now. Um, so, how do, what can we work out? You called 16 lenders. What drives me insane is when I hear someone say, "Well, I called a lender, and they said they don't do that." So, how'd you do that? You called <laughs> one lender. <laughs> this is a great example. You called 16, and it sounds like you would have called more if you had to. And just a reminder to anyone listening is to not stop at the first one or the fifth one. Keep calling, keep asking around in your circle, uh, ask people on social media who they use, uh, friends, don't take a no and, and be consistent because if you want to make it in real estate and you want to become financially free, you have to be very, very consistent and asking uh, a lot of people to get the answer you want. And I would, I would add on to that as well that um, those first couple lenders that I talked to, probably sounded terrible to them and didn't really know what I was saying. I thought I knew what I was saying, but it probably came off wrong to those first couple of lenders. So I would take notes on every single lender that I talked to. And if it was something that I had no idea what they were telling me, I would ask them, 
But if like their explanation still didn't make sense to me, like I'd take the next like 30 minutes after that call to like search that term or that process and then make another call. And then I would drop that term and process on the next lender. And then so that opened the conversation a little bit more and made made it seem like I knew a lot more than I may have known at the time. (laughs) I mean, I think a lot of those first conversations, we sound really stupid or at least we think we do. But honestly, that's the only way to get better is to, absolutely. you got to sound stupid. Like <laughs> you're, you're not going to be, uh, that super successful, smart sounding guy right off the bat. I mean, some of the questions I ask off the bat were probably pretty ridiculous. So to close that multifamily deal, I love that you said you used, you were going to do whatever it takes. You used private money, a solo 401k and savings, a lot of things right there where people think they don't have any money. Maybe let's scratch out the savings part. Uh, but if you find that deal, oftentimes you can find the money. And then a lot of people that say they don't have money, there is other places where you can find that money, like borrowing from that 401k or even a line of credit or different things like that. I And even with the private money, um, I had made this offer on this uh, seven unit while I was in Mammoth Mountain um, getting ready to snowboard. So I made the offer and we came to an agreement on terms before first chair. And so I walked out of that conversation after agreeing to terms and um, waiting for the PSA. I walked out of the room to my buddies who I was going to go snow, snowboarding with. And I was like, hey, so I just got something under contract. May or may not have ex- have a cash offer involved. So do you guys want to go in on this deal? They both shot me down. So I was like, all right, well, that's two down. So let me think about this, how I'm going to approach uh, other people as well. And so how'd you get to the yes on that? It was same thing. I um, It was the fifth um, person that I spoke with, and it was friends and family that I went to. I, I just had the conversation over and over. But the one thing that really helped me out, which I recommend everyone doing, and I'm sure we'll touch on this a little bit more and expand on it, but... During that two and a half years of analysis paralysis, I told everyone what my real estate goals were. So a lot of people, I mean, after two years of someone saying what they're going to do and not actually pulling the trigger, a lot of people started rolling their eyes at me. But a lot of people like knew what I was doing to try and like get to that next stage, even though I was still like fearful of taking the next step. So I've had conversations with multiple people um, over two and a half years. So by the time I actually had a deal, had the numbers, knew the ins and outs of a deal, then it was an easier conversation than something that I was like, okay, so I just read this book and I just got a property under contract. So now like, can we discuss that? So it was more digging the well before you're thirsty. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's not like you're just coming out of the blue to random family members and being like, hey, they had no idea that you're even learning about this. And all of a sudden, it's just like, hey, you guys want to give me money? I found this deal. So they knew all this time you were educating, learning, and putting in the work. And uh, there's there's a a lot of established credibility there over a couple of years. So I think that's really significant. To touch on, I want to go ahead and touch on the private money part, because that's a very overwhelming part for people. And even for myself, I don't consider myself a pro by any stretch of the imagination, but I've somewhat graduated out of the the new beginner stage and I'm kind of in that awkward transition place where I want to scale and I want to raise more money. Like I've raised some money, um, but let's talk about someone's 
getting started raising money for a deal. Let's say they found a deal, but that just freaks them out to raise money. They don't know how to do it. Uh, go ahead and drop some resources, maybe some tips that you can give for someone that's going to do to raise some money for a deal they found. And then maybe some books they can read and some things that you did. I know you told us a little bit already, but. So as, as you were asking the question, I'm trying to think of any specific books that I read on it. Um, and I, I can picture the book cover, but I can't. It's not coming to mind. Um, is it I, Matt Faircloth's book? Yeah, I was going to say it's Matt's. Um, and it's, is it Raising Private Capital? And it's the BP book. One. Yeah, that's a great book on that. Uh, particular topic and that's a reminder that I need to reread that because I always like honestly every book that I read I at least read it if it's good enough I would I'll preface this if it's good enough I'll read it two to three times because I always get something new from that content like I can't completely retain everything in, in an entire book so I'll even Rich Dad Poor Dad I think I've read that like seven times over the last like uh, five years and I didn't even know he talked about 1031 exchange in that book until like the third time I read it. And it was like a small little clip in like a uh, paragraph, I think in the book, but there's something like in every single book that you can take a second time. There absolutely is. And I was talking to my wife about this yesterday. I'm looking at books on my bookshelf right now. And for some reason I used to think like a book was like a merit badge. Like, you had to read every single word and go through all of the book and then if I didn't finish all of the book, it didn't count. And it was just this eyesore and it made me feel like I wasn't good enough. But then I realized like, honestly, I don't have to read a whole book. I can read the parts that I'm really interested in. Or if I, if I finish a book and I like it, if I want to go back and pick it up, I no longer have this ideal that I have to start from the beginning. I can just skip to chapter 17 and read three chapters and be like, wow, that was a great reminder. There's some great tidbits in there. And uh, I think that's a reminder for our listeners is that if you want to go back and reread a book, you don't have to read the whole thing unless you just really want to. Just go read some chapters that you really enjoy. Yep. I 100% agree. And it's funny when you said the merit badge part because I remember I made a ridiculous goal for 2021 that I was going to read 100 books. And I, I started aggressive in January. And I was like, why did I make this goal? This is a ridiculous goal that I, I'm not truly implementing all the content that I'm listening or that I'm reading or listening to if it was an audible book. I was like, this is a ridiculous goal. So I just had to drop it because, like you said, it was a marriage badge. And I wasn't even sharing like what I was learning with other people. It was just me like, okay, and you got to get to the next book and the next book and the next book. But um, so I'm very intentional with the books that I'm reading so that I can take the time to implement what I'm actually learning. But to go and to take this full circle to go back to the private money portion of it. So I would say that the best way to kind of get ready for those conversations is one, get as Brandon Turner always says, get crystal clear on your investment criteria. Like You need to know exactly what you're going after and be so clear and so focused on it that they like that projects um, to the person that you're speaking with. If you're talking about, yeah, so I'm looking at short-term rentals, maybe mobile home parks, maybe multifamily, you know, I... Uh, maybe triple net lease, like commercial properties, you're they're not going to have confidence in what you're 
planning on doing. And if you can't build that confidence in or instill that confidence in them, how are they going to invest in with you? So for me, like I've had, I've only focused on multifamily uh, this entire time. And I've had other people that approach me with like short-term rental op- opportunities and everything. And I told them, I said, I would potentially go into the short-term rental if you are operating it. I'm not interested in learning anything about short-term rentals. I'm not interested in learning like the air DNA dynamics and how to do like dynamic pricing and everything. You have a couple. If you want me to get the the loan um, on a second home for that 10% down and come up with the capital and you want to run it and you can hit all the metrics that you're telling me, we could potentially do that. But I am not taking my eye off the multifamily ball right now. That's so smart. Getting crystal clear on your vision is so, so important because as you know, in the space, it's very easy to get shiny object syndrome. So easy. <laughs> you have been doing social media for a couple of years now. I don't know how many years. I've only followed you for about a year after, since I've met you. And I know for me personally, right around the time I went to BPCon, I started doubling down on content and not so much even content. I almost hate saying that word, but just documenting and starting to build my personal brand on Instagram. And it's been a pretty cool journey. It's been fun. There's been a lot of fruits from doing that. There's a lot of vulnerability in doing that. I think people, they look at it and be like, well, you're just natural at it. Hell no, I'm not natural at it. Like I don't necessarily enjoy it. Sometimes it's like, it makes me very uncomfortable to put stuff out there, but I know what's, what's in it to build my personal brand and the value I've already gotten. And I know where this is headed. So I want to talk a little bit about that. How has social media affected your business, your life, your personal growth? Um, tell me a little bit about that. This, uh, I mean, it's a great transition because social media also helped me raise private money as well. So just putting your, just as you said, I I started in July of 2020 because I was kind of using that as, okay, so I closed mid-July. I was anticipated to close the end of June, but we got it pushed back because of appraisals um, on the 15 units. So I, July 1st, 2020 was when I started it. And, um, you know, I just started sharing the journey. I, it was terrible starting out. I, I mean, the content was, was, I mean, the, the message was there, but the way that I was putting it together, like you, you won't get good with content until you just get the repetitions. You have to just put it out there and refine and refine and refine. And it was funny because someone asked me something about, um, reels the, maybe about a month ago. And I sent them like an early reel that I did. And it was so bad. He's like, no, that's not that bad. And I look at it compared to some of the stuff that I recently did. And I was like, no, that was terrible. Like I was trying to stay on like uh, on beat and my hand was in the wrong position and like nothing made sense like with it. The message was there, but it was like I think the uh, the content itself, the video was distracting from the actual message. So for me, it was just putting it out there and getting the repetition and refining and refining and refining. And then also getting the push from other investors. Like we, um, me starting my Instagram page led me to 
Maui with Brandon Turner. So that's what I would say is that like you never know what will happen from you putting the content out. It's also led to amazing conversations with people that I reconnected with from like my drinking days, like where we were just bar hopping and we're just having like drunken conversations. And now we're both in different places and it just completely changed the dynamic, like great friends. And I'm actually thinking of one person in particular who I'll, I'll use. Um, so I'll give Rob a shout out. Uh, Rob Wolf. Actually, I think you may have met him at BPCon. He was with uh, with us quite a bit. <clears throat> so I'll, I'll uh, share this one. So hopefully he doesn't mind that I'm sharing this. So Rob, I, I started an Instagram page. Rob saw what I was doing with multifamily. So he reached out and he's like, hey, I love what you're doing. I've been thinking about this for a while. So he's like, what's a good starting point? I was like, have you read Rich Dad Poor Dad? He's like, I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. So he that day, he read that that night and called me the next morning. He read the whole book in a night and called me the next morning and was like, dude, okay, I get it. What next? And I gave him uh, Cashflow Quadrant and I believe um, there was a second book that I recommended on that one. But he read that over the weekend, reached out again. And this was about the same time that Tribe of Millionaires for GoBundance came out. And he's like, okay, so what next? And I was like, this is what I'm reading right now. And so I'm planning on joining GoBundance at some point. I'm not quite there with the qualifications for it. And so he read it and then maybe about a month, like we were chatting here and there, but about a month and a half, two months went by. And then randomly I was like, oh yeah, what'd you think about Tribe of Millionaires? He's like, oh, that, that was phenomenal. I joined GoBundance. I was like, what? You just jo- go, what? Okay, you just go ahead and you, <laughs> I was just shocked. And then, so the fact that he like was taking so much action and he's been in GoBundance since I want to say the end of 2020 and he has taken so much action and made so much connections and had so much growth in his business that he, we met up at the beginning of this year and he told me that he was starting a coaching, uh, he wanted to do coaching because he's uh, been helping other CEOs with their business models and, and he's doing a startup right now. <clears throat> and I followed up with him two months ago, uh, and he was at Jason Dree's training for coaching. Wow. And I was like, hey, let's talk when you get back. And then we talked, and we, like, our values are aligned, everything's aligned. I was like, hey, sign me up. So I signed, so he's my personal coach now. And he is getting me back on track to hit my goals because I was like, okay, if anyone I know is taking massive action and making it happen, it's Rob. And I only gave him a few tidbits on direction and he just kept going with it. So I was like, all right, let's do this. So um, so you, social media can completely change your life if you're willing to put yourself out there. And I would say even if you have 100 100 followers. Most people are fearful of public speaking. <clears throat> Would you feel comfortable speaking in the in front of 100 people right now? I don't feel necessarily comfortable speaking in front of 100 people. But I can put that out on social media and if it resonates with one person, it resonates with one person, they reach out and you have an amazing conversation out of that 100. It, you don't have to you know, hear from every single follower. But you have no idea how many conversations. I don't even know how many I've had, but I've had so many great conversations and relationships built from people who follow me, but have never liked anything, have never commented on anything, and 
I didn't even know they were paying attention, but you have no idea who's actually paying attention to the content you're putting out. Uh, and the people listening that aren't doing social media, they may not understand how true what you're saying is until they start creating content. Because for me, I don't have a big following. I might have 1,100, 1,200, somewhere followers, but I get those messages. The, the people that they don't like anything, they don't comment anything. Like for example, I did a, a, a mastermind this last year and invited a few people and people came out of the woodworks wanting to come to this and I made it really affordable. It was a lot of fun. And I had all these messages from people saying, Hey man, I love your content. I've been following you for a long time. I was like, who, who is this? Like, I mean, how could you like what I'm doing? What am I doing? I feel that imposter syndrome, but it's just the product of being consistent over time, posting, being vulnerable, putting it out there and not worrying about what people think. And you're totally right on everything you said with social media, whether that's raising money. Uh, the other thing you're just doing is you're building a track record. You're building a public resume. Instagram is the new business card. Nobody Absolutely. wants your business card when you go to a <laughs> conference. What's your social media? What's your Instagram? Cool. And then there's just, I could talk on that for such a long time. And it's been this epiphany that I've learned over the past 12 months and the power of it. I still do have a love-hate relationship with it because there's sometimes I'm just like, okay, I need to step back. <laughs> this is really terrible. So I try to create more than I consume, but that is a balance that I'm often not good at. Uh, okay, let's let's say someone is, they got inspired from this conversation that we just had when it comes to starting an Instagram, social media, whatever that is. What do you recommend to someone that has nothing out there, but they're getting started in the real estate journey, how do you recommend them start their social media? Honestly, it's as easy as posting about what you're currently reading. If, you, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you most likely are in your personal development stage at some level. So you want to improve. And so just even just create, you can, you can transition your personal one into, uh, your own brand for real estate or wherever you want to go with your business, or you can create something completely separate. Just like you said, with the consuming content, I created a completely separate Instagram page because my personal one, like it was just all memes and like ter like I was not getting any benefit from the feed that I was having outside of like seeing friends like updates and their life milestones and everything. Uh, I wanted to, if I was going to see any content, I wanted it to be all real estate related so that it was just, that's all that's going in um, as far as uh, into my mind. So as it, it doesn't take much, like you can start off. I, I've, when I first started, I switched multiple times. Like I started talking about multifamily and what I was doing. And then I decided that I was going to take it even way back, like from the Dave Ramsey days, like when I was like 74K into debt and how I wanted to take that debt snowball into, and turn it into a cash flow snowball. Like I want, like this is how you can go from 74K in debt, pay that off. And I went back into debt again, but I paid that off again. And then, so that's where it's like, just share your journey. It doesn't matter where you are on your journey. Everyone, there's someone who will resonate with where you're, where you are currently on your path and where you want to go. Yeah, that's so true. And if anyone ever feels overwhelmed, don't feel like you need to create content. Just document what you're doing. That's it. 
you know, throw up your phone, say something. Don't think about it. You might sound stupid. Just like Jose said, uh, one of his first reels, you, you look back on it and you're like, what the heck was I thinking? This is ridiculous. And I have a lot of those <laughs> between TikTok and Instagram and all that. But it is 100% part of the process. And my other advice that I would add to that is just whatever you do, if you want to truly be successful in the social media, and I'm still new at this, I'm not a pro, but I would say just be genuine, be authentic, no need to try to be flashy and compare your journey to anyone else's. Cause like you just said, you're going to resonate with someone, um, whether you don't even have a deal yet. Maybe you're documenting, Hey, I just started driving for dollars. You know, this is what I'm doing today or I'm writing my first letter or doing my first cold call. Someone's going to resonate with that and you're going to be able to build those relationships with people over time. So, yeah. And your, your transparency and openness to share will help you in the long run because you're just being authentic and you're not trying to, just like you said, you're not trying to be flashy. Like I, th- I think I have more responses to the posts where I talk about like the mistakes that I did because I want other people to learn. So I, it's not all rainbows and butterflies real, investing in real estate. So you, if, you're sh- if you're willing to share the mistakes, you're going to help so many more people. And by, doing, by sharing those mistakes, people will, will connect with you a lot more. So with the name Claims to Fire, I know for me, and you mentioned Dave Ramsey, my start really before even Rich Dad was I got really into the fire movement. Were mm-hmm. you ever into that? Yeah, it was it it was a little bit different when I was doing it. It was more so the Dave Ramsey path and then I had a part ways with the the baby steps at the investing portion of it. Like I opened up the Roth um IRA and at that point I think I just switched to focusing back on career, which I don't know what took me off the ball. Oh, no, I, I actually tried to start a T-shirt company. That was a complete failure. And so that, took, that like brought me like into a whole different realm and everything. But um, ultimately, it all led to um, the fire movement again. And the reason I chose Claims to Fire was so I started in 2020, but because 2020 is what 2020 was. So it's um, we, I was trying to figure out a way to stand out in my W2 with competitors. So I decided that I was going to host monthly meetups and talk to claims adjusters because that's kind of my book of business and my prospecting and clients that talk to them on their long-term goals to get them to fire. So instead of, and I was a little like, all right, how do I spin this? So I'm not just talking about like how I want to retire in like two years from the W-2 or next year or whatever it was. So I did claims to financial independence through real estate was the goal. And that's how claims to fire kind of arose and was born. You are a family guy. You're married. You have two kids, correct? Correct. Two and month old. Two month old, man. I know I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And it's a lot of fun. And that's a really, really big part um, of my life. And it's one of my big whys is um, to be available, right? I want to have a thriving marriage. Uh, I want to be a, gr- a great dad. I want to be around Uh, I want my kids to see their dad doing amazing things and not stuck at a lifeless job. That's very, very important to me. Talk about, I want you to talk about the importance 
uh, and the significance of your family and your journey to financial independence? Yeah, it, it, it really is my why. So I was raised by a single mother. Um, so father, I've never, I mean, I can't say I never met him because I probably met him when I was like two, but I never in the picture. So my father figure was my grandfather. Thankfully, uh, my grandparents were in the picture and could help out uh, my mother and I. But I knew that I wanted to, I actually at some point I wanted to change my last name because I didn't want his last name. So I wanted to change it to my grandfather's last name. I kept the name because at some point I was like, you know, let me just change this entire last name. Like this will be something that I do moving forward and this name will have a different meaning than it did when uh, it was given to me. So for me, I, I knew that I wanted a family, but I was still fearful, like, how do I provide for the family? Because I saw how much my mother struggled with two jobs as a single mother. So when I found, and it was, it, I, I give uh, a lot of credit to Brandon Turner because it was his story about buying the fourplex for Rosie and how they would enjoy the cash flow for the 15 years or so, but he put it on a 30 year, paid it off, at, is paying it off as a 15. So by the time she's ready to go to college or um, invest in her own deals or have her own startup, like they can do a cash out refinance and use that capital to help her. So the minute that I heard, like that was a game changer, that was a light bulb moment as well for me that um, real estate can be that vehicle for generational wealth and can provide and that cash flow would cover diapers and clothes and school and sports and everything. And then I wouldn't have to say, well, I can't invest because I have a family and I have kids, which I hear way too often. So it was, um, that's been my focus. So I consider the seven unit our oldest son's property. And at uh, the beginning of September, I'll be closing on an eight unit for, uh, and he'll be three months. And it's funny because I looked at the timelines and both boys, I will have closed on both of their properties when they're three months old. Wow. That's so cool. And it's such a great idea for anyone listening, if you're a parent. Yeah, I'm, it's, uh, it, it just gives me the confidence to keep moving forward, knowing that this will be in place. So one thing that I, it's, you have to kind of think of your mortality at some point that what can I do now? Because I can hustle my ass off right now, and but I can't hand down my job and my current income levels to my children or even to my wife. So what can I do now that will set them up so that if something does happen to me, how are they able to be taken care of and how can they continue to build wealth on their own? Yeah, and, and what a legacy to, to be a father and be able to provide for your family. Uh, not just now, but if something happens to you, what a gift to give them. And yeah. uh, I, I do hear that excuse, and we'll call it an excuse of people saying, well, I can't do that because I have kids. I say, it's, I think it's quite the opposite. You have to do it because you have kids and you have yep. to make it a must, not I want or I wish or I'd like to, a must to, to be that provider for them. Uh, and then another thing I want to talk about, this is something that you've been, you've been kind of public about on social media, alcohol. Uh, as you know, alcohol is very glorified in our society today. And another thing that's always kind of driven me insane is going to conferences, meetups, whatever it is, 
there's quite the obsession with alcohol. And a lot of these events kind of turn into drunken fest. And uh, you see a lot of, you know, the dad that can sneak away. And he's, he's like, oh, I'm finally away from the family. And just gets <laughs> wasted. And <laughs> there's a lot of that going on. And I want you to tell us a little bit about uh, your, your background with that. You quit drinking. Uh, I recently saw yesterday a year ago. And congratulations, man. That's amazing. Thank and you. that's the ultimate rebellion to society. Uh, and it's, it's an incredible thing to do. And I highly uh, commend you on that. So tell us a little bit about your background, your choice to do that, and how that's affected your life, if you don't mind talking about this. Oh, no, absolutely. <clears throat> absolutely. I love talking about this because just the same thing with even uh, social media and talking about real estate. You never know who it's going to resonate with. So for me, because <clears throat> I admit it's funny be, that you bring this back to it because when I mentioned about the t-shirt company, so I left uh, my W-2 as a claims adjuster to focus on building the t-shirt company. Was a total failure, but what happened during that time frame was like I would wear the t-shirts as me self-promoting to the bars with all my friends. And at one point, <clears throat> I get a shot of Fireball handed to me and I was like, oh, hey, Thanks, I appreciate that. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, here's one for all of your friends too. And so I got to talk to the person that handed it to me, and he actually worked for Fireball Whiskey, and he was doing a bar spend at the time. So, um, the my thirtieth was like two months later. I went to New Orleans, funny enough, um, for my thirtieth, and one of my buddies had reached out to Fireball directly and was like, hey. Um, we're in New Orleans. I, I know Sazerac's based uh, in the area, and I wanted to see if um, you can do anything special for my buddy's 30th. So they delivered a, a package to my uh, hotel, and it was like fireball, swag, everything, and it was great. So I reached out to the people who coordinated it. I got the information from my buddy. I was like, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That, made, that was like the icing on the cake for my 30th. And hey, by the way, I heard that your former rep in San Diego was no longer working for Fireball. Um, do you need any referrals? Are you still looking to um, fill the position? So they're like, yeah, actually, we're still trying. We're still interviewing. So I was like, oh, well, I like Fireball. So here's my resume, and then I ended up interviewing, and I ended up getting the job. So for me, I worked for Fireball Whiskey for two years. And it was funny because I told my mom, I was like, hey, remember when you told me in college that you didn't send me to college to drink? You kind of did. <laughs> so uh, that was like, it was great during the time frame, but in that period of my life, because it helped me kind of get over like uh, where I was like in relationship states and just uh, travel and enjoy life in general. But it was honestly a two-year hangover. It was ridiculous. Like I, my entire job was going into the bar, sitting down at the bar, telling, you know, talking to the people next to me, and finding a reason to buy the entire bar around a fireball. So it was. I I didn't even know that job existed. Um, so it was fun at the time. But then, fast forward to where I am currently. Um, I did also get a DUI um, back in 2010. So that was two years prior to the fireball position. And I thought I learned my lesson. Like I didn't drink and drive. I would Uber everywhere that I needed to. So 
fast forward to my current position, um, I'm in business development, so I would take people out for happy hours, everything. And last year, I was at a work conference, and at lunch, because I was talking to prospects and clients, I had a really light lunch. Like I'm, I'm not like big. I'm I'm tall and I'm lanky, but I need to eat a lot because I have a super fast metabolism. So if I have a light lunch, like I need to um, probably not drink or not drink as much. But I was at that happy hour talking to clients. And I was drink, and I used to love like bourbon barrel stouts and porters, and that's a high percentage high of alcohol. Gravity. Yeah, that's that. That and I, you have no idea how high the percentage is for some of those. So, um, drank like three or four of those, and really didn't have anything for lunch. And then I don't remember the dinner that was with my boss and with my um, one of my executive team members. Thankfully, I'm a really happy drunk, so everyone was laughing their asses off by like what I was saying and everything. So it was good, and that's why I would say is that um, unfortunately, alcohol and money, they're just amplifiers. Like whoever you are and your core values, and whoever you are deep down, like those will typically come out when you don't have any inhibitions and like for me thankfully i'm just happy i love dancing everything when i was drunk um but the problem was that the i decided to drive home to help out my wife uh, with our two-year-old so i drove and i remember like having that like head nod like twitch um driving um and realistically like I could have lost everything in the blink of an eye. I have a family now, like everything that I'm trying to build, like for the family and for long-term generational wealth, like could have been taken away. I could have killed myself, killed someone else, been in jail, lost my job. Everything could have just been taken away. So I had to go back to the conference the next morning and it was an hour away. So that wasn't a short drive, like back home. So I had a serious talk with myself, hungover, Driving back to the conference, I was like, why did I do that? That was the dumbest thing that I'd ever done. And I'd done a lot of dumb things prior to that. But I have a family now, so I need to think differently. So at that point, an hour of talking to myself, I decided that I was going to stop drinking. And I talked to a lot of people during the conference because they had seen me that night before. And they were like, you were on one. I was like, yeah, that's the last one I'll ever be on. So... (laughs) So I had a lot of great conversations, a lot of encouragement, and I just decided to cut it off completely. And I didn't drink um, daily. I could go out and meet friends without drinking and still have a great time. But the problem was I never had an off switch. So the minute like I was, if if I went past that one beer, like if I got to two beers, like there's a high probability it's going to be four, five, six. So. I needed to just change my identity that I don't drink. Not even just saying, hey, I'm just going to have one going out because I know at some point I'm not going to be able to cut it off like I didn't cut it off at that conference and drove home. So for me, I just had to completely cut it off and stop leaving it up to chance on what would my what my future would hold for me and my family. And to go back to like the conferences... BPCon last year was in New Orleans. New Orleans is New Orleans. So I was a little I was a little concerned about going to the conference, but I knew that I had enough 
friends that were investors that I had met over the last two years, even just a couple months before, that they they would be happy to support me. So I went there and I just had, I probably drank too much Diet Coke during the conference, but I take that over the alternative. So um, I think it comes down to surrounding yourself with others that will encourage your choices and not say, oh, come on, just have one drink, just one shot. It's just one shot. You don't have to, we could stop after that or like it never stops really after the one typically. So for me, it was surrounding myself with others that would encourage me. And I had a lot of great conversations where they were just saying, you know, I've considered this for a while. And shout out to Emily. Um, she, uh, after BPCon, she made the decision to stop drinking as well. She had been Fact thinking about it for a while. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. Yeah. So again, like it, you, you never know like who will resonate with your story. But that's why I share it because, I mean, everyone is at a different stage of their life. I'm, I'm no one to judge because I, I drank for a living. That was my job for two years. So it's just where I'm at currently, alcohol was not going to take me to the next level. Good word. A lot of wisdom in that. And I think the listeners can appreciate that. And for a lot of people, that's a hard pill to swallow. And I love that you said you you couldn't, it's not that you couldn't just maybe say, I'm going to have one. You had to change your identity to say, I'm not a drinker. I do not drink. And that is a radical, radical thing. And there's power in, in changing your identity. There's power in the words you use to describe yourself. I always tell people to be very cautious with the words you use. Uh, even if you think they don't have power, but your words definitely have power. And a phenomenal story, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And I appreciate you uh, asking so that I could share it. Um, and yeah, just with the identity shift, it just made it so much easier. If I'm 100% committed, it's so much easier to follow through than if I'm 80, 90% committed because that slippery slope will take me back easy. Yeah. And especially with the trajectory that you want to take with your life, you want to level up. I can see it in you. I can see it in, in your content and in, in what I follow. You're not satisfied with staying stagnant. And to, to make that big shift forward, you got to make those radical changes and you got to make that identity shift. And I think you did that and you're going to continue to do that. And I commend you for that once again. Well, Jose, it's been a absolute pleasure to hear your story from where you came from to where you're at now. And I'm really excited to connect in person again and actually have a little bit more of understanding of you, who you are uh, here in BPCon in San Diego uh, in October. The last thing I want to ask you about, and then we'll wrap this up, is you have recently partnered with Terrence Doyle on a mastermind. I didn't know Terrence Doyle at all, but I went to a conference in January. I had no idea who was coming. Uh, and then Terrence was one of the guys that spoke and he did a phenomenal job. I love his story. I love his personality. Like everything about that guy was just, was great. Uh, I look forward to actually getting to meet him in person one day. So tell us about the mastermind group that you and Terrence have recently formed 
Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. Uh, so it's the Value Tribe is what we will be launching on October 10th, right after BPCon. And I, I have to give a little backstory. So those first two properties, when I said that they were from the same seller, that was Terrence's properties that he was selling. He was selling off his initial portfolio that he built with his family so that he could scale and do the amazing thing that he's currently doing in both Denver and Des Moines, Iowa. So we've just built a relationship. We actually um, were in uh, a mastermind together in 2021. And that's where we started talking like regular. No, actually, it was 2020. So after I closed on it, the I think it was two weeks later, the first call for that mastermind uh, happened. And I was looking at all the names on the Zoom call. And I was like, Terrence Doyle, I know that name from somewhere. And I looked, I, uh, since I was at my computer, I pulled up the, um, the closing statement. I was like, oh, there he is. So I text the broker immediately. I was like, hey, I'm in a mastermind with Terrence. Can you sh shoot me his information? I really want to connect with him. Um, so after closing with both on both properties on those 22 units, um, we became good uh, good friends. Like I chat with him regularly. We talked about multiple different opportunities of working together. And then he had mentioned just in passing that he was interested in launching a mastermind. And being in so many masterminds myself, like I saw the power of that to get you out of the analysis paralysis stage. And I knew that if it was left to my own accord and I was trying to do it all myself, maybe five years from now, I probably would be launching one. So I went the who, not how route. And I was like, hey, what do you have in the works right now, Terrence? How are you trying to take this um, to the masses and scale it? And then he has a social media manager. So he has he's the visionary and he has his social media manager that's the integrator on all of this. And she is honestly the Diana is the wizard of Oz right now for all of, for us. And we're excited because it's basically twofold. We have the rising stars, which I'll be leading the rising stars and kind of getting them from that analysis step analysis paralysis stage, or if they're in single family, how to make that transition to multifamily to take down those five to 25 to 30 unit properties. And then as everything progresses, then we'll be opening up applications for an MVP group that it's one-on-one -on -one coaching with Terrence. Terrence and I will be um, working monthly with the rising stars on weekly calls but one-on-one um, -on -one coaching with terrence is kind of that mvp level um status that uh, we'll be opening up uh q4 q1 depending on the openings for that amazing where do people find out more about this mastermind yeah you can go to my instagram claims to fire and it's in uh the links in the bio and then uh, just be sure to sign up for that sign up for the discord channel because as leading up to the launch we'll be doing giveaways and we'll be kind of dropping some amazing uh opportunities for everybody well jose i honestly i i say this a lot and i find myself saying this again i could talk for a while and I, I can continue to have more and more questions pop up in my head. I even have more notes here to ask you, but I'm at, I'm at an hour right now, and I'm going to go ahead and end it here. Man, once again, it's been such a pleasure, and thank you so much for coming on the show. You just told everybody where they could find more about you. That's Instagram claims to fire, and I'm going to end it right there. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Can't wait to pick up at BPCon. <laughs>